Romans chapter number three, and uh, this is, you need to tighten your seatbelt this morning. This is a great Sunday school lesson, and uh, I'm going to tell you, it's uh, something that every one of us deal with on a daily basis, and that is this matter of sin. Uh, we understand that according to the scriptures, we're all sinners. Uh, the Bible talks in iniquity did my mother uh, I was born in iniquity, that we're all sinners by nature. And the book of Romans, I don't know if there's a, a, a book, and especially a passage, that does a better job of covering this topic than what we're going to look at this morning. And I, look, I don't, I'm not, I, hopefully this isn't a negative message, but I'll tell you this, it's something that helped me. It reminded me of a lot of things, and I, hopefully it'll be a blessing to you today. We're just, we're just kind of unpacking the Christian life. And how many of you know that even though we're saved, we still struggle with sin, right? Amen. You know, because as long as we're in this flesh, uh, we're prone to wander. And uh, we need the Lord in our lives every day, and we need to die to self and so on. So Romans chapter number 3, beginning in verse number 10, and let's read this passage this morning. The Bible says, as it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. Notice that key word there, none. No one really honestly is seeking after God. They are all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. Now, we use a lot of these verses when we're talking to people about salvation, but, but we miss really the rest of this passage. There's so much here as we read on. It says, their throat is an open, open sepulcher, with their tongues have they used deceit. The poison of asp is under their lips, whose mouths, mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways, and the way of peace have they not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Boy, isn't that indicative of this generation that, that's uh, uh, coming up in this world today? No fear of God at all. As a matter of fact, they just plastered on their cars now, and there's just no fear of God at all. The Bible says, as we read on, it says here, uh, now we know that what things soever the law saith, it saith to them who are under the law that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. Now, let me stop there for a second. The reference to law deals with the Word of God. And so notice here, it says, by the law or by the Word of God is the knowledge of sin. Remember, faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the Word of God, right? And unless we actually see what we are and where do we understand that in the Word of God, and that's why the Bible says here, by the law is the knowledge of sin. See, when I started to look at the scriptures, I realized how much of a sinner I really was. And uh, have you ever talked to somebody and asked them if they've ever done something wrong and their answer is no? And you're like, wow, seriously? You must be a perfect person, you know? And th there's none good, as we just read a minute ago. Let's read on. He says, but now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested, being manifested by the law and the prophets, that's a statement making reference to the entire Old Testament, the law and the prophets. Now, the Bible says, even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ 
unto all and upon all them that believe, for there is no difference, for we all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in His blood, to declare His righteousness for the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God, to declare, I say, at this time His righteousness, that He might be just and the justifier of him which believeth in who? In Jesus. Now, when you look at that passage, it starts with the fact that, that look, there's none of us good, there's none of us righteous, there's none of us that are seeking after God in our mouths is, is cursing, and there's poison in our mouths and under our tongue. And then that passage actually ends with talking about the Lord Jesus Christ, how that Jesus became the propitiation, the satisfaction. Jesus' death satisfied a holy God. And so when we think about this morning, the lesson is simple. Here's what it deals with. It deals with sin. And it deals with the implications of sin. Now, again, you have to understand, if you don't understand sin and the implications, then you're going to struggle in your life as a Christian because all of you said, listen, even though I'm saved, I still struggle. It's a, it's a daily battle. That's why Paul wrote under inspiration, I die how often? Daily. Every day I have to die to self. I have to die to the flesh and, you know, when you think about this matter of sin, there's a great illustration, and I hope it's not something that, that, that is, is too hard for maybe a few of you to take, but I, when I was studying this, the one illustration that I think of when we're talking about, and Paul's describing in Romans 3, there is something in the world today, if I asked you what the worst disease that you can imagine would be, what would you say? Yeah, the C word, right? You think about cancer, uh, you know, it's touched probably almost every family in this auditorium this morning. It's, it's been a part of our family. Uh, it's something that many have had to deal with. And, you know, w when people hear that they have cancer, it's not good news, it's bad news. And, and as far as I know, nobody really likes bad news. You know, if I said to you, I've got some good news and I've got some bad news, the average person says, I'd rather hear the good news first. No one really likes bad news. And when someone is diagnosed with cancer and there's something that is terribly wrong with them, oftentimes it's amazing people don't want to know. It's like I, I realize there's something wrong, but I really just don't want to know about it. Now, again, you, you can't go through life just ignoring it. Uh, you've got to understand it, just like this matter of sin. Uh, sometimes that people hope to avoid the reality of cancer as long as possible, just to put it off because they don't want to know about it. They don't want to hear how bad it is, how severe it is. Sooner or later, the reality is, is that you have to confront it head on if you're ever going to overcome it. And, and that's why, it, when, especially when you deal with something like cancer, there are times when you can deal with it and maybe you can head it off depending on where that person is in, in the actual stages of cancer. Now, our tendency with sin is the same, is that here's what we do. Honestly, 
many of us don't want to face the news of who we really are. Because the, re the real you and the real me is we're sinners. Now, the only difference is we're sinners saved by the grace of God. That's the great news this morning. So look at number one here this morning. Let me talk to you first of all. Remember I told you about some good news, bad news. Let's start with the bad news this morning, just as Paul did in Romans chapter 3, bad news regarding sin. Now, again, I mentioned that cancer is, is not good news. It's bad news. And here's why. Because even, even medical doctors, and with all the advancements when it comes to cancer, guess what? Cancer is still a mystery. No one has really been able to figure it out. It affects everyone differently. The, the human anatomy, it's different for this person more than it is for that person. No one knows what causes it. No one knows what cures it. No one knows what prevents it. You know, it's kind of crazy. If you're like me, and I, we don't sit around and dwell on it, but it's been a part of our family, and, and sometimes you, you, you're, you sit down and you start to read up on it a little bit. And I, I, was, I was spending a little time uh, because a lot of times people are like trying to figure out, uh, like I remember years ago whenever uh, I've had my grandfather and, and uh, a few of my relatives that were diagnosed with Alzheimer's. And uh, I had an opportunity years ago to do a study on it. I chose to do a study on it. And uh, I, I'm not a medical doctor. I don't claim to, to know, you know better than medical doctors, but I did a, I did a pretty in-depth study on the thing. And the one thing that I found through all the research, now none of the, none of the uh, doctor's findings, uh, some of them contained it, but none of them said, this is the cause. But I found a commonality through all the research of over 20 different medical doctors that there was a common thread. Now again, I'm not saying this morning, this is what causes Alzheimer's, but there was a, a high content of aluminum in many of the patients. And if you look back, I remember years ago, there was no such thing as Alzheimer's. Uh, they just called it dementia, is what they called it. And, and so Alzheimer's is something that is still fairly new. Uh, but what I found is, is that, you know, if you look back about the year that they started talking about, and, and the man named Alzheimer uh, was the one that did a lot of the research, you find a lot of the changes. Remember when they had the, it was, I know I'm going to date myself here, TV dinners with the aluminum that they used to come in? Uh, remember how soda came in aluminum cans? How that a lot of the cookware was made out of aluminum? Uh, you had aluminum foil. Do you know that there are some foods that contain aluminum? And, and so I began to do all those studies, and, and I thought, wow, you know, now again, I didn't think I was onto some finding Maybe that was uh, attributes to the cause. I don't know. But when it comes to cancer, a lot of times people want to sit around. They want to talk about, well, what is it that causes it? How do you prevent it? And I was looking at what some people, there are people who believe <clears throat> that cancer is caused from processed foods. And they say because of all the preservatives and additives and chemicals in processed food that it causes cancer. But then you also find people who say that cancer is caused by organic foods that there is bacteria and pollutants that is in uh, organic food. And so it's like, okay, so do I eat processed food or organic food or what kind of food? Or maybe I just don't eat food, you know? Uh, it, you know, you, you look through and uh, I'm, what I'm giving you is true findings. Some people say that a lack of exercise causes cancer. 
They say a lack of exercise. Where you find other studies say that actual exercise causes cancer. That one got me. Uh, how about this? They say sugar causes cancer. And then you get other people who say sugar substitutes cause cancer. So it's like, okay, uh, which one is it? Uh, some people actually have said that tap water causes cancer. And then other people say purified water causes cancer because of all the things that are put in it. Uh, some people say that, that the air that we breathe causes cancer. Folks, I don't know, and guess what? No one really knows what causes cancer. They have some ideas, but the, the reality is, is that what, what everybody wants to do is they want to avoid cancer. Well, okay, so how am I going to avoid cancer? Okay, here's the answer. Don't eat anything. Don't drink anything. Don't exercise or maybe exercise. I don't know what to tell you. Because the, the truth is, is that uh, cancer is something that is tragic. But here's the thing about it is, cancer is internal. It's something that is internal. It's a condition, and if left to run its course, I think we all know what cancer does. It destroys a life. That's what it will do. But interesting that when you try to detect it, you cannot control it. And eventually it will destroy. When it's detected early, sometimes it, in some cases it can be stopped. When it's detected late, sometimes it can be slowed down, it can be managed. But in reality, again, no one has discovered what causes it. But one thing we do know is it's an enemy of life. I mean, so many people are dealing with it. And, and when I think about cancer, what a great illustration of what we're talking about in Romans 3 today. And it's that three-letter word, S-I-N, sin. See, sin is a spiritual cancer. And just like cancer itself, many times we don't understand it. Guess what? God's given us his word because God wants us to understand it. And he wants us to understand the implications of what sin does in our lives. We tend to think that sin is, sin is something that is behavioral. A lot of times that's what you hear from people is because of the way a person acts, that, that, that's, that makes them a sinner. And what we do is we think that we can save ourselves through some sort of behavioral modification. If I just make a few adjustments here, make a few adjustments there. Now you understand that kind of talk is that if we could do that, then Jesus would have never had to die for the sins of the world, right? There's, there's no modification that we can do in our lives to, to make us a better person. Sin is not something that can be tamed. Uh, it's not something you can train like a parrot. That's not what sin is. Uh, Jesus, and you think about this, Jesus is not a conditional Savior. He's not a conditional Savior. He's interested in Look, this matter of modifying our behavior, I'll tell you what Jesus is interested in. He's interested in a relationship with you. That's what he's interested in, is that you would come into a relationship with him. See, sin is much bigger than behavior. Sin, like cancer, it's devastating. It's horrific. See, a lot. Of, have you ever heard somebody say, well, it was just a little white lie? You ever heard that? You know what they're doing? They're basically saying some sins are huge and some sins are just, you know, just a little bitty old thing. It's not that big a deal. 
And what we do is we make it trivial. We marginalize what sin is. But look at folks, understand, sin is sin. And according to the Word of God, all sin is ultimately against who? Against God. See, we've got to understand that this morning. It's important that we understand how big sin is. And when we understand this, here's what it's going to do. It's going to cause us to understand the magnitude of Jesus' becoming sin for us. Look at the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5.21. He, God, hath made him, Jesus, to be sin for us. Boy, what a great statement there. Folks, I don't know if you can really wrap your heart and mind around that. Did, did you understand what you just read there? God the Father made His Son sin for us. That's why Jesus said, Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. When Jesus hung on the cross, all of our sins, yours and mine, past, present, and future, were placed on Him. Every sin that ever was committed or will be committed was placed on Jesus Christ. And that's why we need to understand. Look, I'm going to tell you, doctors do the best they can to try to understand what sin is. And there's still that mystery about what causes it and what, how to prevent it. But can I tell you this morning, sin doesn't have to be a mystery because God has described it in His Word. God has tried to help us to understand the bad news regarding sin. We've got to understand that. But look at number two, is if we understand sin, then guess what's going to happen is we're going to respond to it. Now I want you to see, secondly, some responses to sin. Look at the first one. And by the way, both of them begin with the word self. Self, all right? The first one is self-defense. See, here's what happens is within every one of us as human beings, there is a self-defense mechanism that's built into every one of us. The self-defense, we believe, I think by nature, we believe that we're pretty good. You know, a lot of times I ask people, how you doing? I'm, I'm pretty good. You know, I'm doing all right. And, and a lot of times what we're saying is, I, I, I'm making it. I can get by. Uh, you know, I can handle life. I can handle this thing. And, and it's this self-defense mechanism. We tend to excuse our selfish indulgences and the decisions that we made. And here's what we do is we justify it by saying this. In our minds, we can always find someone that's worse than we are. You, know, you remember, remember the man that stood there and said, I'm, I'm glad I'm not like him, right? And that's what we do sometimes is we realize deep down inside who we are but then what we do is we look around and go well yeah but look at him i mean look at her and all of a sudden it's like well i don't think i'm that bad compared to brother tim i'm pretty good you know i mean i'm not quite that ugly you know and so 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 the thing is is that we we tend to think in our minds that that somehow that we are better in god's eyes now do you understand the 
the, the self-defense mechanism there, how we, it, it, by the way, I know I'm talking to every one of us this morning because I've been there and I know you've been there. I think all of us, by nature, we tend to do that. It, 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 it's convenient to, to do that. But can I tell you that when we start to think about how good we are, what we're doing is we're bypassing God's standard in our lives. And God's standard is, is that, listen, who is it? That ultimately is the judge of our life. Is it me? Is it you? Who's the judge? It's God, right? Look what it says in Romans chapter 14 and verse 4. Who art thou that judgeth another man's servant? To his own master he standeth or falleth, yea, he shall be holden up, for God is able to make him stand. So look, we are all good, I think, at, from time to time at defending ourselves and, and here's what we do is we, we tend to try to tip the scales in our favor. It's that just self-defense mechanism. You know, look, we understand we're sinners, but really I'm not, I'm not as bad as Roman, you know. You know, I'm a better person than that. I mean, you know, after all, I'm a pastor, you know. Hey, listen, I've, I've met some pastors who are as wicked as the devil, you know. And so understand this morning that responding to sin and the implications of sin is we have that self-defense mechanism. But look at the second one. And again, it begins with the word self. It's the word, word self-deprecation, self-deprecation. Now, what is self-deprecation? It's the exact opposite of self-defense. See, outwardly, when you look at self-deprecation, it almost appears to be humility. In other words, boy, that person is pretty humble about who they are, but really, can I tell you this morning, it is not humility at all. It's not even close. Self-deprecation is knowing that you have failed in the past. It's knowing that I have a track record of bad behavior. It's knowing that I have consistently violated God's law and the standard of God's law, but then here's what happens is because we know all that, here's what we do. We just give up. I mean, there's no sense even trying. I mean, I, I'm a mess. You know, I mean, God would never use me. God wouldn't, you know, there's nothing good about my life. It's amazing. Uh, I don't, again, I don't, I don't spend a lot of time watching the news, but, uh, you know, I, I've grown up in a woman's world. And, uh, and, and from time to time, I'll hear things. And, you know, I... I don't, I, I don't get the big mystery of coach purses. I don't get it. And I had no idea who in the world Kate Spade was. And then a while back, we were out shopping, and I saw the store. It said Kate Spade. And I said to my wife, what is that? And she said, oh, those are very expensive handbags and other things. And I'm like, well, who is she? And they said she's some designer or whatever. This past week, 55 years old, she hung herself. She left a note for her daughter, 11-year-old daughter, who she, she was divorced from her husband, worth I don't know how much money. And the note to her 11-year-old daughter said, it's not your fault. And you think to yourself, 
here's a woman with all this money, but money can't buy you happiness. See, instead of confronting the problem, the sin there, and I, look, I'm not pointing the finger at Kate Spade. It takes two people in a relationship. I don't know the whole story. You know, I didn't take the time to read it. But when I think about that, here's what self-deprecation is. It's a focus on self than, than a focus on the Savior. You get it this morning? Look, if Kate Spade was focusing on Jesus, she would realize there's nothing good about her, but there's everything good about him. I'm going to tell you, so, and again, I hope this doesn't sound awful, but how selfish of a person, especially a parent, to take their life and to leave their children without a parent. How selfish. Look, I hope none of us would ever come to that. And a lot of times here's what happens is we think, well, things are so bad, I just don't know what to do. That's why God's given us his word. That's why God's given us uh, an opportunity to have Christian friends. Folks, you don't have to go to that extreme to take your own life. You can go to Jesus. He's still the answer to every problem in life. But what happens is people like Kate Spade get to that point where they just, they, they can't, they're so far down, they can't see up at all. And can I tell you this morning that that is what the mindset of self-deprecation is. It's somebody that wallows in guilt. They have shame and regret and remorse. And, and a person that is self-deprecating, they assume that remorse, if they're remorseful in their life, that somehow that's going to score points with God. In other words, there, it's not a matter of being humble. It's a matter of, of just beating oneself up. And, and can I tell you this morning, self-deprecation, just like self-defense, it's not spiritual. It's not biblical. It's not something that pleases God. I can tell you this, look, it's not helpful. We've got to understand that it's, it's, for many, self-deprecation is a game and it prevents Jesus and his grace from being all that you need. That's what it does. But can I tell you this morning that we know from the word of God that God offers forgiveness. And along with that forgiveness, guess what God gives us? Joy. In spite of the life. You know, we've been studying the Apostle Paul on Sunday nights. Here's a man that all that he did, all that he went through, but yet he still had the joy of the Lord. You say, how is that possible? It's, it's possible through the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at the Bible says in Psalm 51 and verse 12, the psalmist says, Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation and uphold me with thy free spirit. Nehemiah, in his day, he said uh, unto the people, Go your way, eat the fat, drink the sweet, and send portions unto them for whom nothing is prepared. For this day is holy unto our, our Lord, Neither be ye sorry, for the joy of the Lord is your what? Yeah, he says, look, you're saved. Why are you so sad? Why are you letting sin plague you? Folks, listen, this morning, we've got to understand, we have been delivered by the Lord Jesus Christ. You don't have to continue in sin, but yet many times, Christians don't live the victorious Christian life 
because they're, they're, they're wallowing in guilt and shame because of sin. And some, some responses to sin is we have that self-defense. We think, well, we're not that bad. And then self-deprecation, we kind of start to beat ourselves up and watch this, we start to focus on, on us instead of on the Lord. Look at number three this morning. So I've given you some bad news. So let me give you some good news. Number three, let's talk about the truth, the truth about sin. Remember what Jesus said, you shall know the truth. And what's the truth going to do? Truth's going to set you free. So look, this morning, I'm your friend and friends tell others the truth. But guess what? I'm just going to give you what the Word of God says. So if you don't like the truth this morning, don't hate me. I'm just the messenger, all right? So let's talk about the truth this morning. We've got to overcome this matter of sin, and we need to understand the truth about sin and what sin does to our lives. So look at some basic rationale when it comes to this matter of sin. Letter A, I know this one's going to surprise you. You aren't perfect. You're not perfect. All right. Guess what? All of us are fundamentally flawed. All of us are. We are born in sin. And you know what sin, I think we understand, sin is a disobedience to the law of God. Look at Ecclesiastes 7.20. For there is not a just man upon earth that doeth good and sinneth not. Does that not sound like we just, what we just read in Romans 3? And that was many hundreds of years before Romans was ever written, is that there is no one that doeth good, and, and everyone sinneth. It, it says here in Proverbs 20 and verse 9, Who can say, I have made my heart clean, I am pure from my sin? And the answer to that would be no one, right? No one could say, there's, there's no bar of soap that you can wash yourself on the inside. Now you can by the washing of the water of the word. God's Word will clean us up. God, by His Holy Spirit, will. But folks, understand this morning that the reality is this, is that you and I are not perfect. Secondly, look at this. Your imperfection is instinctive. It's instinctive. Sin flows freely from us. It flows freely from us. Uh, one of my children is in here this morning, and I, 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 won't, I won't say this just about her. I have four children but can I tell you, and I was trying to remember how many of the four children that I actually taught how to drive a car. Did I teach you how to drive? Who taught you how to drive a car? Mom did? You did? Mom did? And uh, I'll never forget, uh, my, my uh, one daughter, she decided that uh, when she was going to start driving, she wanted to buy a car, and she bought a stick shift. Number one, she didn't know how to drive. Number two, she didn't know what a stick shift was. But she just had to have that car. And so I had the joy of teaching her how to drive and how to drive a stick shift all at the same time. Now, it, listen, honestly, I don't think it's that hard because personally, does anybody in here remember what a Pinto is? I learned how to drive a stick shift when I was 17 years old in San Francisco, California in a Pinto station wagon. Now that's talent right there. I'm going to tell you what, I popped the clutch a few times, but I'm going to tell you, I never hit one car, I never even rolled back into one, but I mean, the streets of San Francisco are like that, you know. But I remember when I taught my children how to drive, I never taught one of my children how to speed. Not one. I never said, now, if you push down on that thing right there, 
It'll take you up 55, 65, 70, up to about 90, 100. Now, my kids do that on their own. Now, you might say, yeah, that's because they're your children. No, 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 because we are all sinners, right? You go to the nursery, you see those little kids back there fighting over the toys. Nobody taught them. They come in, they come into the nursery with nothing, and all of a sudden you hear them say, that's my toy. <laughs> really? Did you carry it in? I didn't see it in your backpack, you know? But that's, that's the way our nature is, and see, it's instinctive for us. Isaiah said, all we like sheep have gone astray. You know, we have turned everyone to his own way. That's what we do. It's instinctive. Romans 3 again, there's none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth, none that seeketh after God. All are gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. There's none that doeth good, no, not one. So the reality is what? That you and I were not perfect. And because of our imperfections, our imperfections are instinctive. Let her see, your imperfections are harmful. I'm just trying to help you understand from the Bible this morning the implications of sin, okay? See, our sin creates brokenness. The wake of sin, you know, when you look behind sin, guess what you see? Broken marriages, broken relationships. Uh, you see uh, hurt uh, people, bad decisions, regret, shame, guilt. Uh, oftentimes, look, many times we don't even know the full effect and I think about that 11-year-old daughter of Kate Spade. I think about what she's dealing with now. You know, unfortunately, many times when you go through divorce as adults, it's not the, the parents, the adults, that oftentimes are the victim. It's the children that are the victim. Many times those children sit around beating themselves up thinking, what did I do wrong? Why didn't mommy and daddy love me enough to stay together? And we think about how that our imperfections, how harmful they are. Isaiah says, we are all as an unclean thing. Our righteousnesses are as what? Filthy rags. We do all fade as a leaf. Our iniquities, like the wind, have taken us away. James says, when sin, when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it is finished. Boy, if there's a verse in the Bible you ought to familiarize yourself with right there, that, that, that shows you the devastating effects because when sin is finished, it bringeth forth what? Death. And you know what it is? Look here. It's a downward spiral. It's a slippery slope. Many people find themselves there because they don't understand the implications of sin. Look at letter D. Your imperfections are more powerful than you. Our sin can't be, you can't tame your willpower. I think of these people, how ridiculous that these lion tamers that work in circuses. That's exactly what it is. It's a circus act. You, look, I'm going to tell you something. My mama didn't raise, raise no dummy. I'm not sticking my head in no lion's mouth. Did y'all see on the news this past week, the lady that was walking her two dogs and, and an alligator pulled her into the water? Gone, out into eternity. And they said on the news, her husband was gone on a, on a trip, he was in the state of Illinois, and they said on the news that her husband, that all the people that live around that body of water know there's alligators in there, 
and, they, and everyone realizes, and there's a walking path around it, and they, the husband told the wife, do not walk the dogs around that water, body of water. And that's exactly what she did while he was gone. She did what was right in her own eyes, and the alligator drug her into the water, and she was gone. The two little dogs were still there. They found the dogs. One was hurt, but her life was over. We've got to see that our imperfections are more powerful. Look, there's no way that we can, uh, we can be trained. There's no classes that we can go to to help us to, to be able to deal with it because it's more powerful than we are. Look what the Bible says in Psalm 51 and verse 3. The psalmist says, I acknowledge, I, I, I understand my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me against thee, Thee only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight, that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest and be clear when thou judgest. Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Now when you, when you think about the implications here this morning, why does this matter? Why do we need to understand sin? And, and notice I, I saved the best for last. Number four, write it down. What's the good news? The good news concerning sin. I've given you bad news. I've given you some responses. I've given you the truth about sin. But look, at the Bible does give us some good news. When we understand sin and we understand self, then guess what we really come to understand? We, we come to understand Jesus and we come to understand His grace. The grace of God. See, all of mankind, every one of us in this auditorium and everyone that lives on this earth Someday we'll meet the Lord face to face. There was a man in the Bible, his name was Nicodemus. Now listen, you can study what the Word of God gives you. As far as I can tell, Nicodemus was a pretty good guy. I mean, he was, he was a man that was a good man, if we could call him that. He was a well-educated man. He was a man that was religious. He was a very well-behaved man. But when he met Jesus that one night, Jesus, when he spoke to Nicodemus, Jesus rattled Nicodemus's world. I, I, every time I read that, that portion out of the John, John's Gospel and this conversation between Jesus and Nicodemus, I can just hear it in Nicodemus's voice. Some of the conversation between the two of them, because Nicodemus just couldn't wrap his mind around the fact that Jesus came for people that were broken. Jesus came for people that were sinners. Jesus came for people that were outcasts, that their lives were falling apart, and, and, and he connected with those that, that honestly were hopeless in this world. That's why Jesus came, and he, he connected with these people. And when Jesus began to talk to Nicodemus because he was God, he already knew what was in Nicodemus's heart. He knew what Nicodemus was thinking and how that Nicodemus, uh, you know, he, he was trusting in the law. So when Jesus began to deal with Nicodemus, he cut through the law, he cut through religion, he cut through behavioralism, uh, this matter of Judaism that Nicodemus was living his life by. And what he did was he went straight to the heart of the matter with Nicodemus and he told him that, Nicodemus, guess what? As good as you are, you don't have what it takes. With all your goodness, all your religion, guess what, Nicodemus? You need what everyone else needs, and that is you need to be born again. That's what he was telling him. Nicodemus, he, he, he's thinking to himself, you mean I can't just modify myself? I can't just change a few things? Look at the Bible says, 
in John 3, verse 1, the, he was a Pharisee, a ruler of the Jews, and he came to Jesus by night and said, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again. There it is right there. You can't go to heaven if you're not saved. So when you think about this, what Jesus was talking to him about, this matter of sin, if I can say it this way, beating sin requires more than a treatment. It requires miraculous intervention. Look at me for a second. There's a, there's a lot of programs out there today. And look, I'm not knocking those programs. For instance, for years, I don't know how many years, there's been a program called Alcoholics Anonymous. And it was designed and developed to help people with alcohol problems and so on. There's, there's all kinds of, of anonymous programs out there. But guess what? The attrition rate of those programs is not that great. And here's why. Because they're based on man's principles. But if you get a program that's based on the Word of God, God's Word changes lives. See, you've got to get to the heart of the problem. And many times what we do is we just look at what's above the surface when what we really need to do is get to the very heart of the problem. That's what Nicodemus said to, uh, Jesus said to Nicodemus. He says, look, you're not good enough to go to heaven, Nicodemus. With all your religion, everything that you've got, you have to be saved. Now, the problem with dealing with sin, listen to me carefully, we're going to be done, is that after you're saved, sin doesn't go away. Right? If you don't agree with me, read Romans chapter 7. We just used it last Sunday in Sunday school because here's Paul the Apostle talking about now that he is saved, he's still struggling every day between the flesh and the spirit, and he says, oh, wretched man that I am, because every day he's dealing with this. See, the flesh still fights against God, and the flesh still fights against growth every step of the way. So what is Paul's conclusion, or is there a conclusion? Yes, there is. There is deliverance. I understand it's gradual, but eventually one day the Lord will deliver us from our sin-prone flesh, but until then, you and I, listen now, we can experience something very, very special. Look at Romans chapter 8 there in your notes. There is, therefore, talking about those that are saved, there is, therefore, now no what? Condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me what? Free. Look at that. Made me free. You're free today. And we have liberty because of, of, of service men and women that have given their lives that we can have the freedom that we have. But folks, I'm going to tell you something. We have a greater freedom than that is that Jesus has set us free. We, we're free from the bondage of sin and death. There's a relationship here that the Bible's describing that is unconditional, that the Lord accepts us. It's unlimited in its grace. It's infinite and it's second chances. Look, I'm going to tell you something. God will forgive us again and again. When sin wants to condemn us, guess what Jesus does? He steps in with his grace. And that's what we see. See, sin is horrific. Uh, it's, it's something that we have to understand. If we don't understand it, here's what happens. 
God's grace becomes small. Salvation becomes minimal and self becomes bigger than the Savior. And folks, this morning we've got to understand what sin is, all right? Let's pray this morning. Lord, thank you. Thank you that we have the Lord Jesus. We have the freedom from sin. Lord, I know that all of us deal and struggle from day to day. But Lord, we do not have to stay in that condition because we have been set free. Lord, I pray that something this morning encouraged those here to realize what they have in Jesus. Thank you for the grace of God. And I pray that you'd bless each one. Lord, help us to understand sin and understand its implications. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.